In just a moment, we're going to open the scriptures. But before we do that, I want to take you back to Sunday, September 23rd, 14 Sundays ago, almost four months ago, when I stood up in front of our church and I shared a word with our church that the Lord had been pressing on my heart. And it was a word for River West Church. It was a word that I had heard about a year and a half before that when I was on a spiritual retreat and I was in some solitude and praying. And it was very clear in that moment. It wasn't an audible thing, but it was an impression to my heart where I got out of, I got up immediately and wrote it down and realized I am supposed to share this with our church. And you will remember if you were here that that word was the word revival. It was the word revival. And what I heard that day at the cabin down on by a river was the Lord said to me, get the church ready for a revival. You need to get ready. Now, I recognize that when I shared that word, that caught some people off guard because it caught me off guard. I'll be honest with you. I was not expecting that word. The lights are... Oh, it's not just the furnace. It caught me off guard, and this is why I waited for a year before I shared that with our church. I studied, I prayed, I tested it. One of the things that happened for me, River West, is that in my process of responding to what I felt like God was saying to me, I studied and realized that there's a lot of misconceptions about the word revival, which is why it struck people a little odd. Some people have misunderstandings about what that word means. So I, I realize there's a lot of people who think that they hear the word revival. They think sort of out of control emotionalism. But that's not, that's not what revival is. One of the great authors that I read was a, was a scholar, an American scholar named Jonathan Edwards. And he talked about that very thing. He was dealing with revival in his time. And there was a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of pushback. And he was a strong advocate of revival. But he wrote to bring clarity to the concept. And one of the things that he said was revival is not a special season of extraordinary religious excitement. Revival is an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit that restores the people of God to normal spiritual life. Normal spiritual life. Jonathan Edwards says it's common in the church for for things to grow stale and revival is just God pouring out his spirit to revive the church back to where we ought to be spiritually, where we love God and we long for God and we want to see more of God's glory. That's what revival is. And that was the word that the Lord shared with me to share with our church. If you don't like the word revival, you could think of the word spiritual renewal or spiritual awakening or being restored back to where God wants you to be. All those concepts are, are under this word revival, and it's all over the scriptures, all over the scriptures. Now you say, why, why are you talking about this this morning? Well, I'm talking about it for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm talking about it because it is the reason for our Luke study. So the Lord made it very clear to me, you're going to study the gospel of Luke as a church and as your church focuses on how beautiful and compelling and amazing Jesus Christ is, I will do this reviving work, right? And we've seen that. It's been amazing. 
Many people have joined our church since we started that series. Many of you were not here on that Sunday to hear that sermon on September 23rd. And if you were not here or for some reason you missed that sermon, I am asking you to go back and listen to that message because it was an important word. And I can't rearticulate right now what took an entire sermon to communicate then. So please go back and listen. It's on our webpage. But the other reason I'm sharing it this morning is because we're seeing this happen in our church, and it's been amazing. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing you pray like you've never prayed before. So encouraging. Coming for prayer after service. Praying in your small groups. Praying after service. We talked on that Sunday on September 23rd about what Jonathan Edwards called extraordinary prayer where Christians begin to pray, they still pray for, the, the, they pray for one another and for illness and, and weakness and, and struggles, but they also jump up a notch and they begin praying in a new way. They pray for God's glory to be poured out. They pray that the church would experience more and more and more of Christ. And I see that happening. It's been amazing. I see the church growing. I see worship like you've never worshiped before. I was standing at the 4 p.m. Christmas Eve service right over there against the wall with 60 other people who were standing in the sanctuary watching the church worship, and it was extraordinary. It was wonderful. My heart was just singing. And there were people in the overflow, and there were people in the foyer, and there were 60 people in here, and all 60 of them were annoyed because they had to stand for the whole service. It's not about numbers, right? But a man, a man was standing next to me, he leaned over and he goes, I seem to remember a certain pastor getting up in front of the church and telling the whole church to invite their friend to Christmas Eve. <laughs> right? It is about the joy of Jesus spreading out of our hearts where, the, where people around us begin to go, what's happening there? I want to come and see. What is this gospel message that's created such joy in, in this people. Amen? And that's all revival. That's what we're talking about. But here's the third reason I'm coming back to revival on the first Sunday of 2019. Because it was a big moment in the life of our church, and it felt wrong to just blow past it, which is what I tend to do. I tend to put the pedal to the floor and just keep going. And that does not feel like the right thing to do. And so what I'm doing this morning is I'm standing before you, body of Christ, River West, and I'm saying it's time for us today on the first Sunday of January to gather up again and refocus on what God is calling us to be about. And that's what we're going to do today. And that's what we're going to do next week and the following week. We're going to take a little break from Luke. And we're going to do a little mini-series where we're going to talk a little bit together about some practices that the church has observed over the centuries. Practices that Jesus talked about constantly. They came up in his teaching. They came up in his ministry. They are the practices, or you might use the word disciplines, that the church has used to seek God and to experience more of God, to express love and faith and connect with God in a deeper way. Some people call them spiritual disciplines, but I actually prefer the word practices because they're just, they become part of the rhythm of the church and you don't do them out of obligation, you do them out of a, of a, of a, of a desire, changed affections. You want to experience more of God 
And so you begin to participate in some of these practices. You know many of them. Prayer is a spiritual practice. Reading your Bible. Solitude. But there are others that might be a little less familiar to you. Like fasting. Or meditation. Or serving. Right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to call this little series for the next three weeks, Seeking God. Seeking God. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to seek more of God in this season of revival. And today, I have one simple and singular goal for our time together. I have one goal. And actually, goal is not the best word. I have one desire as your pastor this morning. And that desire is this. My desire today is to awaken in our church an even deeper hunger for God. That's what I want. I want us to become even more hungry than we already are. My heart, my desire is that in the next 40 minutes we would experience together, we would be reminded together that our greatest joy, our greatest fulfillment Everything that we're longing for, ultimately, we only get it by becoming closer and closer to God. That's what I want. I want to awaken that hunger. And I don't want it to just be a corporate thing. I want it to happen in your heart, in your life today. If you're sitting in a chair in the sanctuary of River West Church today, my, my hope is that your hunger for God would be awakened today. And to do that, I'm going to take the next 35 minutes and I'm going to talk to you about the spiritual practice of, as odd as it sounds, of fasting. We're going to talk about fasting today. Whoa. Take that in. (laughs) Take it in. Okay, get comfortable. Settle down. And be honest. Okay, just be honest. Don't talk out loud, but just be honest. When you hear the word fasting, what are the first things that you think about, right? Don't say it. Just think it, okay? What do you think when you hear the word fasting? Do you think, this is bizarre. What did I walk into? If you're a guest or visitor, welcome to River West Church, right? (laughs) What is fasting? I actually polled a bunch of people this week in our church, a small group of guys and several other people, and the number one response was, fasting is horrible. (laughs) It's horrible, it's miserable, it's uncomfortable, right? I was pleasantly surprised, though, to discover how many people in our church have tried the spiritual practice of fasting. It was really encouraging, okay? But there's a lot of confusion, and there's a lot of misunderstanding, and there might even be a little bit of fear. Some of you have wanted to make a beeline for the closest exit, maybe because of some issues with food and stuff. Stay with me. Stay till the end. I'm going to unpack some of this stuff. It's going to get very practical. I promise you, you will be pleasantly surprised, okay? We're going to talk about fasting today. Did you know that fasting is practiced all over the world? Every major religion has room in, in, religious, in their religious practice for some form of fasting. They see the merit of it. And what is interesting, one of the things I learned this week, is that the two communities in our world who practice fasting most frequently, you're not going to believe this, they're not even religious communities. 
the two groups of people who practice fasting the most, one of them are social activists. So think hunger strikes, right? Hunger strikes. Think this is like Gandhi. This is people who want to make change in the world, political change, and one of their weapons that they use is they go on a hunger strike. And if you were to go to Google right now, which you could, but please don't do it because we're in church, you could, you could type in hunger strike and what you would discover is that there are people all over the world right now who are on hunger strikes. Azerbaijan, Iran, Egypt, everywhere. Most of them are in prison and they're using fasting for political goals. Well, the second community that fasts the most is the bodybuilding community. How odd. Think, just put those two together, all right? Social activists and bodybuilders, okay? Because there's all of these metabolic benefits, health benefits, fasting, their scientists are discovering it's extremely good for your body to fast periodically. But here's the thing, River West, when the Bible talks about fasting, it's not talking about any of that stuff. In the Bible, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. You abstain from food voluntarily because you want to experience something spiritual in your life. It's not about any of those other things. Even though you might experience other benefits in your life, that is not the point. The point is, a voluntary abstinence temporarily from food because you're longing for something that is spiritual. My first introduction to fasting happened when I was a really young Christian man. I had just graduated from college, and I was being mentored by someone in the ministry, and this person turned me on to the the book called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Many of you have read that book. Very famous book on spiritual disciplines. For many Christians, this is the book that introduced most of you to fasting, if you know about fasting. And for me, as a 22-year-old young man, I had never heard a thing about fasting. It was so foreign to me. And the thought of fasting was beyond my... I mean, when you're in college, you literally live for your next meal, right? The idea of abstaining from food was unheard of. And what happened was that actually became the discipline that I was drawn to the most. And I decided, I'm going to try this. And so here's what happened for me. I, I read Foster's book, and he talked about a couple of different ways to fast. There's many different ways. Sometimes it has to do with food. It's not always about food. We'll talk about that at the end. But food is the primary kind of entry point into fasting. And so what I did was I decided I would try 24-hour periods every once in a while, once a month. So I'd wake up in the morning, and my fast would begin just for food, I would drink water, and I would have a cup of coffee. I'm not going to get crazy around here, but anyway. Okay, so I'd, I'd, I'd have a cup of coffee, no cream. That's how I roll. And then I would have a glass of water, but I would not have breakfast. I would not have lunch, and I would not have dinner. And then I would go to bed. And when I woke up in the morning, I would, I would break the fast. I would have bre- breakfast. Did you know this? Break, fast, break. It's like... It's like Sesame Street for Christians. Break, fast, break, fast, 
breakfast. Oh, okay, right? That's, I'm sorry. Uh, That is what I did. This is just what I did. Later, I'm going to tell you there's all kinds of ways to do this. But here's what happened for me. It became unbelievably powerful for me in my spiritual life. There's something that happens in that moment where you have a hunger pain and it jolts you and then you realize this is not about me starving to death. We are so spoiled, right? Not about me starving to death. I just am feeling a hunger pain and I would immediately remember, I'm gonna pray. And then I would pray. And every time I felt a hunger pang, I would learn to turn turn that pang towards God. And what what I began to realize was that in my life, food and, and other blessings from God, although they're really good things, they can actually become kind of a threat to your spiritual life because they can distract you and cloud you and numb you to a deeper hunger that you actually have which is a hunger for God. So powerful. I love the way John Piper said it. John Piper wrote a book on fasting called The Hunger for God, and it's nearly a perfect book on fasting. I can't recommend it more. But here's how he said it. I'm going to put this on the screen so you can enjoy his wisdom. He said, if you don't feel strong desires for the glory of God... It's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there's no room for the great. Isn't that neat? I love that. He's like, if you don't feel hunger for God, it's not because you've had so much to eat of God that you're full. It's actually because you've been nibbling on the leftovers of our world. You're stuffed with small things. There's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it's in there, in you, hiding, maybe. And it can be awakened. Isn't that great? And that's what fasting is about. Now, you may already know this, but Jesus talked about fasting all the time talked about fasting quite a bit. He was questioned about fasting. We're going to see that in a few weeks when we go back to Luke. We're going to see fasting will come up. But the very first word of Christ about fasting was a word of warning. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Will you turn there with me? We're going to go to the word together. Matthew 6 and verse 16 Jesus said a lot about fasting, but the first thing that he said about fasting was a word of caution. He said, I need to talk to you about your motives, which should tell us something. It should tell us that because fasting can be so powerful spiritually, it probably also can be misused in a powerful way spiritually, which is why motives matter so much. So let's listen into the wisdom of Christ. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to pick up in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces 
and that their fasting may be seen by others, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You probably noticed there that two times Jesus uses the word when you fast. Did you see that? Verse 16 and 17. He says when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He could have said that. But Jesus says when you fast, which tells me that Jesus assumed that his disciples would practice the spiritual discipline of fasting. That it would be sort of commonplace. It tells me that Jesus assumed fasting is good, fasting is not harmful, fasting should be normalized in the body of Christ. And so he said, when you fast, right? When you fast. And actually, if you read the scriptures, one of the things that you find is that fasting is all over the Bible. It shows up constantly. It was practiced by the people of God. So there's lots of examples. Uh, In the Old Testament, when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh because the city of Nineveh was such a horrible, abhorrent place, and Jonah walks in with this message calling the people to repentance, saying, you're going to be overturned, Nineveh. The book of, of, of Jonah says that immediately the people turned to God in faith and immediately the entire city called for a three-day fast and they repented of their sins. Amazing. Queen Esther called for a fast during the exile. Esther found out about a plot to kill all of the Jews and she put out a call to all the Jews in exile. Let's fast for three days from bread and water, food and water, and then I'll try to go before the king, but we need to fast and seek God, right? Interesting little incidental. Did you know that in the history of our country, the United States, at the very beginning, the founding fathers, Congress, actually three times in the early years of the United States called the entire nation to a fast? Isn't that amazing? And three presidents did it as well. Abraham Lincoln three times called for a fast during the Civil War. Amazing. That wild. And then last week we left off. Jesus is in the desert for 40 days, and he's not eating for 40 days. And then Luke, in a stroke of unbelievable understatement, says, and he was hungry. <laughs> he was hungry, right? It's fasting. So you... So fasting, people in the scriptures, they fast when they want to repent. They fast and they repent. God, my sin is real and it's horrific. And they use fasting as a way to cry out to God. In the Bible, people fast when they want to seek God, when they need God to show up. People will fast. Lord, we need to see more of your glory. Please deliver us. They use fasting. In the scriptures, people fast when they want to have a deeper connection with God. It's all over, the, all over the scriptures. And Jesus said to his disciples, when you fast. Now you might be thinking, well, if Jesus said when you fast, how is it that I don't feel like any Christians around me fast? Like I just don't see this practice being 
you know, being used in the church. There's a couple possibilities. One of them is that actually there are people around you who are fasting, you just don't know. Because Jesus later, Jesus is going to say, don't broadcast your fasting, right? So it's very possible that Christians are fasting. And I know some of you in the church do fast. It's possible the person next to you is fasting today, right? Unlikely, but it's possible, okay? But there's another reason for this, and it's probably the more likely reason is that fasting has fallen on hard times, in the church, in America in particular. I mean, I don't have to tell you, River West, as Americans, we are so rich, right? And we're so full and, and all of that. I mean, gratification is as American as apple pie, right? So the idea of fasting is very foreign and, and it's, maybe it's not talked about enough. But Jesus said, when you fast, and I want to talk about it on the first Sunday of 2019. I want to talk about this because we're committed. We, in our church, we want to talk about things that are in the scriptures. Even if it's at times uncomfortable or odd or, or seems intense, there are moments where we realize we should talk about this, you know? And so we're going to talk about it today. We look at your Bible again. Look at what Jesus said in verse 16. He said, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. It's a warning. Everything that Jesus is going to do next is he's going to talk about how to fast, and specifically he's going to talk about how not to fast. And what he's going to say is do not fast like a hypocrite. And why is that? Look with So he says, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So apparently hypocrites are people who do spiritual things so that other people will notice. That's the reward they want. They want to practice religion or do spiritual disciplines and practices so that other people will notice and go, wow, that person's really spiritual. And Jesus basically says, they'll get the reward they want, and that's pretty much all they'll get, right? He uses this word hypocrite, which came from the world of the theater. It came from the Greek theater, and it was basically, the word meant a play actor. It meant someone who saw life as a stage, and I'm on the stage, and I'm going to project someone that may not be the actual person that I am. And Jesus says, just be careful because hiding behind religion and hiding behind spirituality, there's always this sort of this threat that we could turn it into something like that. It's like spiritual dangers lurking. You've noticed, if you've read Matthew 6, that this teaching on fasting is a part of a bigger teaching where there's a pattern where he talks a lot about this. So if you look at your Bible at, at Matthew 6, in fact, go back to verse 1 of Matthew 6. Jesus sort of sets up the whole teaching. And he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He's talking about the, the danger of religious showmanship. And what's interesting is that Jesus then, from there, he moves to 
tithing. And he says, when you tithe, don't do it in front. Don't be like a hypocrite. Don't do it in front of other, other people. When you pray, don't be like a hypocrite. Don't do it so other people see you praying. And then he says, when you fast. Isn't that interesting? He took fasting and praying and giving, and he puts them all together. It, it was as if Jesus was saying, fasting in the church should be as common as praying. Amazing. But all of those things have the potential to be done in a way where there's like a desire for showmanship. And Jesus basically says, be careful. There's a spiritual danger here. It's, it's the human heart, isn't it? It's like the human heart has the capacity to take something that's designed to be so good, to draw me to Christ. But because of my human fallenness, I can take even the best thing and twist it and turn it and use it for my own benefit, right? And Jesus says, just be careful. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't throw out fasting altogether. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Fasting is not the problem. In fact, fasting is the cure. Because no other discipline takes me into the true condition of my heart like fasting does. Amazing. I love the way Richard Foster said it in the book, Celebration of Discipline. Here's what he said. I'll put this quote on the screen too. He said, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Fasting will reveal that. He ta- and then he, he goes on to talk about it. He, he talks about the fact that when you fast, you become aware of all the things that you're kind of enslaved to things that you've started to depend on to numb things that might be going on, hurts, disappointments in your life. Fasting is like this mirror that gets held up and you realize, whoa, I am controlled by some stuff, right? And that next meal is the way that I sort of soften the pain and forget about it and move on and, 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 the, and the food covers over it. Or it could be something else. It could be a drink, We have a word that we use for that that's become really popular. It comes from the world of psychology. It's the phrase self-medicating, right? You've all heard that, self-medicating. It's just a way of saying eating or consuming or doing things to numb myself and distract myself so I don't have to actually feel or deal with what's going on in here, right? We, we do it. We do it all the time. So imagine you, you have a really hard morning at work, you get to the end of a really hard morning and it's your boss just just hammers you, just comes down on you and you're so bummed and you're so hurt and maybe the first thing you think is, oh, I just can't wait till lunch, right? Can't wait till Kadoba. All my problems will go away or I'll have a whole new set of problems, right? But honestly, we do that. We live from meal to meal. I'll get to lunch and then I'll feel better. Or you get to the end of a long day or a long week and it's, and it's brutal and the workload is piled up and you're discouraged or you have a relationship that's broken. And if you're honest, sometimes you think, I'm just going to take the edge off. I'm going to have a drink. I'll feel better. Right? could be a drink, it could be a meal, it could be exercise, it could be the next vacation, it could be entertainment, it could be Instagram, it could be just about anything. And then God in his wisdom 
comes in the person of Christ, and Christ says, when you fast, what will happen is that fasting will help uncover some of those longings and hurts that you have, and it'll cause you to ask the question, am I going to God to get what I need to get fulfilled? This stuff is, some of it's good, it's normal, it's healthy, God created it, but none of it will fulfill me, ultimately. There's only one person in the universe who will fulfill me, right? God himself. Amen? Amen. So good. I think that's why Jesus talks about reward. Do you see it there? Look back at verse 17. This is what Jesus means when he talks about a reward. He says, now when you fast, verse 17, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, why would you do that? That sounds like something my mom would say to me, like, wash your face for heaven's sake. (laughs) Why would you do that? Well, Jesus says, you do that so that your fasting won't be seen by others. The goal is that no one would know that you're fasting, right? No one would know, except for one person, your father, your heavenly father who's in secret, and he sees He sees that. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying fasting is a a God-word-directed thing. I fast, and I don't want anyone to know that I'm doing it so that I can be reminded that what I'm really doing is I'm wanting to seek God. I'm wanting more of God. I I want to be closer to God. And I want God to see. And then Jesus says, and you know what? God will reward that. And the reward is God does see. And God does arrive. And God meets you in that moment. It's amazing. You know, fasting is really ultimately not about food. It's not about what you're saying no to. It's about what you're saying yes to. Yes to. Food is good and you were created to eat and you need to eat. But even God's good gifts can become such a clutter in my life that they distract me from confusing the gift with the giver and fasting is a cure. God says, temporarily abstain and realize what your real hunger is. So amazing. Can I tell you something? In my life, one of the things that I've realized in my life is that the more that I commune with Christ, the more I know Christ and see Christ, the more I feed spiritually on Christ, the more hungry I get for Christ. Isn't that true? It's like no other thing. Everything else in the world, if you eat too much, you don't want any more. But not with Jesus. The more you feed on Christ, what you'll discover is you get more and more hungry for Christ. You want more, not less. You want more of his glory. You want to see more of God's glory in Christ. You, when, the more you commune with Christ, you want the church, who is the bride of Christ, to become more and more beautiful. You want things for the church that you never wanted before. You want the church to grow and shine and impact the world. You want the gospel to spread. 
The more that you feed on Christ, the more your heart will break at the notion that there's someone in or around your life who's not feeding on Christ. The more that you feed on Christ, the more you'll want revival. Amazing. And so here's what I need to do today. I need to share with you some things about fasting that are on my heart. These are things that I'm sharing for our church on the first Sunday of 2019. And I'm going to ask you to write these down today. God's pressed them onto my heart, and I think they matter. And I hope that they will be powerful in your life. Here's the first thing I need to say to you. You are absolutely free to fast or to not fast. You are free. You do not have to fast. Okay? This is super important. I am going to preach this right now for about two minutes. This is so important. You are free. You do not have to fast, but you are free to fast. One of the things that's true is that in the history of the church, because fasting is so powerful, Christians who had good intentions tried to search the scriptures for a way to take a Bible verse and use it to say fasting is an obligation if you're a Christian. But the problem is there's no verse. It is not an obligation. You don't have to fast. And actually, there's no room in Christianity for legalism because this is a grace-based religion. Amen? You don't have to fast. You're free to fast. You're free to fast. And my greatest desire is that if you decide to fast, it will not be because of this sermon. It will not be because you feel obligated. You will decide, I'm going to try this because God stirs your affections and you want to fast. That's what I want. Now, having said that, here's the next thing I'm going to say. I would like to call everyone in our church to some kind of a fast in the next 30 days. I would like to call us to this, to try it. You don't have to, okay? You're free in Christ. You're free. And if you respond to this call, which I hope you do, I, want, I only want you to do it if God has stirred you. But here's why I'm saying this. It's 2019. It's the first Sunday in 2019, and God has got a purpose for this church. And I believe he wants to stir us up a little bit. And I think one of the things he wants to use is fasting. Because Jesus said, when you fast, when you fast. So I want to ask you, give it a try. Now, for some of you, you fast, or fasting is a part of your life. This will not be difficult. For some of you, this will be brand new. I get it, okay? And so you're going to want to take this a little bit progressively. You, you can't just jump into 24 hours without food. And for some of you, you should not do that. Okay, let me stop for just a minute and say, there are people who should not fast from food. 
for different reasons. Some of them are health-related, blood sugar issues. Some of them have to do with different diseases are related to food. So this, food is not the only kind of fast. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But if, if, if food is a possible entry point for you, I do, I do want to encourage you to try fasting from food, and here's why. There's something about that God-given gift of the hunger pang, the hunger pang. And it strikes you and it, it stirs you. It's like, a, it's like a spiritual bolt of electricity that reminds you, oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm in a relationship with God and God is who I'm really hungry for. And so try that. Maybe you start slow and you just skip one meal, skip lunch at some point. Take that time, pray. Maybe you say, I, I think I can do lunch and dinner. Skip lunch and dinner. Try that. If it's a horrible experience, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. Try it again in a couple of weeks or a month. But let's try this, church. Let's try this. For you, maybe it's not food. Maybe the Lord would suggest that you fast from technology. Give up that iPhone for a week. Give up Instagram for a month. Give up YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> give up Netflix for a while. Give up, give up some of these other things that maybe you could fast from. I have a feeling that, that as the Spirit is working, there are people who God's going to stir your affections to give up alcohol. For a season. And just, I'm going to hover over this one for just a second, okay? And here's why. I think that if we have a stronghold right now in our community and sort of in our culture, I think that stronghold might be alcohol. I think if we were being honest with one another, we would say there's a lot more addiction to alcohol and dependency and self-medicating that happens with alcohol than just about any other thing. And I'll be honest with you, part of the reason why I know that is that I speak from some experience in my own life, in my own story. And so I have a feeling that it might be time for some to say, the Lord is just stirring me and I'm, I'm going to give up alcohol. I'm going to fast from this for a week or a month or forever. But it could be food, it could be alcohol, it could be technology. Will you, will you try this? And Lord, let's see what the Lord does. Can I make you a promise? If you, if you try this, you, God will bless you. You will get the reward that Jesus talks about. The reward is you, God will see. He will see and he will meet you there. And I believe that what will happen is your hunger for God will grow. And I hope it does. Okay, here's the third thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to take communion together. Write this down. Connect your fast to a gospel goal or a gospel value. Just make sure that as you try this, make sure that you connect it to something so that it's not just a disconnected thing. It's not... Oh, I'm just not eating today. Well, why? I don't know. That's not going to help you. So what, what you do is you say, I'm going to connect it to something that's gospel-oriented. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast and I'm going to pray for our church. Every time I feel hunger, I'm going to pray, God, bless our church. Bless the leadership. Bless the worship. Bless the preaching. Cause our church to grow. Draw unbelievers to our church. Just pray your guts out for our church. Connect your fast to repentance. So there's a sin and you know it and it's, and it's weighing you down and fast and repent and ask to be delivered. Connect your pr- fast to prayer for an unbelieving neighbor or friend, someone that you love. Every, think about the beauty of you feel hunger. What's the first thing you do? You drop to your knees and you pray for that person that you love. Connect your fast to something. My heart is heavy for all the people in our community who don't know Jesus. I'm going to be honest with you. My heart is heavy about that because God loves lost people. He wants them to come to Christ. Is it possible that this might be a season in our church where we fast and we pray and we see God's glory fall? I hope so. I long for that. And I hope you do too. So let's pray together right now. Will you bow your heads and the worship team will come. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the wisdom of Jesus, how much we need Jesus. Thank you for grace. I'm so thankful, God, that we're free in Christ. Thank you for speaking to us and leading us. Thank you, Lord, for the way your spirit stirs when we gather. I pray this morning, God, you would change us, change our affections, change what we hunger for, change our desires. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be a part of a community of grace. And our greatest desire, God, is that our community would grow as people come and encounter Jesus. That's what we want, Lord. And to that end, we turn our focus now, this Sunday and and the two Sundays to come, on some of these practices we'll talk about. We want to honor you, God. We want to know you. We want to seek you more and more and more. And we pray it in Jesus' name.